Let's turn to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Uh, it was announced this morning that I was going to speak on Armageddon, the last war for this planet. I want to read in the only part of God's Word where the word Armageddon is mentioned here in Revelation chapter 16. If you've been following the news, you will notice that God is shaking this world once again. And most people are confused. Most people are even afraid. Reading even last night and even this morning that all the politicians don't know what's going to happen next. Well, we as Christians, we have God's Word. We know what's coming next. We know how it all ends. And they don't. Verse 1 says, And I heard a great voice. And you'll see this word great many times in this chapter. Heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials or bowls of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth. And there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of a dead man and every living soul died in the sea. The third angel poured out his vial upon the waters, rivers, and fountains of waters. They became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. Thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. Power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with great heat, blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains, their sores, and repented not of their deeds. Upon the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof were dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keepeth his garments, 
lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great heel out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blaspheme God because of the plague of the heel, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. What a chapter of the future history of this world. I, I could almost go home at that point, couldn't I? After reading what God reveals is the future for this world. Now, this name, Armageddon, that's mentioned in verse 16, is one of the most famous names in history. If you were to go around Larn tonight and ask folk, what do you know about Armageddon? Have you heard the name? Many, many people would say, I've heard the name Armageddon. Maybe in a movie. Maybe used in many different contexts to describe a nuclear holocaust. But you know, very few people understood or understand that the word Armageddon refers to this great battle, really as a war, but it's a series of battles that leads up to one final battle that will happen in the city of Jerusalem and in the land of Israel. And Armageddon is a place where man has his last great stand against God. It's the devil's last gasp in trying to destroy the Jewish people and trying to block the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this weekend, this very moment, the nation of Israel is fighting for its very survival. And people are asking, will it survive? Will Hamas or Hezbollah or whether Iran or Syria or Saudi Arabia or some other nation or group conquer it, destroy it? Well, I can tell you this evening, not one of those mentioned names will destroy the Jewish people or will destroy the nation of Israel tonight or any other night. Because this book promises that when Christ returns, they will be in their land. They will be in control of their ancient city, the holy city. And they will remain 
until Christ returns. They are the indestructible people. Not because they have the best army, not because they have the best defenses, but because God Almighty has stamped his finger of approval on this promise that they will remain until the end of time. And history began in the Middle East. History will end in the Middle East. History climaxed in the first coming of Jesus Christ at the point of his death and crucifixion in the holy city of Jerusalem. And history will climax at the end of time in the same holy city with the same Jesus, not crucified, but this time coming to deal with his tormentors, his opponents. And he won't be Jesus meek and mild. He'll be Jesus the judge coming to bring vengeance and wrath upon sinners. Now, if you go to the land of Israel, it will surprise you just how insignificant in terms of size and population it truly is. The Jewish people make up less than 0.2% of the world's population. Just think about that. Just a fraction. And of that Jewish population, about half of them live in the state of Israel, six million or so. Israel, in terms of size, think about this, is smaller than Switzerland. It's smaller than the island of Ireland. It's actually smaller than the Republic of Ireland. Just a tiny little place. And at its widest point, it's only 263 miles, but in his narrowest point, it's only seven or eight miles wide. Just a tiny country with a tiny population. And here tonight, the whole world's eyes, the world's newspapers, the world's TV programs are centered once again on the cup of trembling that can never be solved by the United Nations, by any other powerful group of nations to bring peace. Because as a nation that not only God has his eyes on, but the devil has his eyes on. You see all these rabble, the great unwashed, running around cities tonight, waving their flags and crying, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They're not there because of some racial prejudice or some economic envy. They're being whipped up by a demonic force because Satan hates the Jew. And he hates particularly the holy city of Jerusalem and the state of Israel. Because it was at that place that he suffered his greatest defeat. And through that people of a Jewish Messiah and a Jewish Savior who rose from the dead, 
conquered sin and death and hell, that Satan suffered his greatest humiliation and his greatest defeat. But this final battle that's mentioned here at Armageddon doesn't happen in just a moment of time. There are signposts. And this chapter, chapter 16, tells us a number of the signposts that lead us to Armageddon. And notice how it begins in verse 1. It says, I heard a great voice. It's God that speaks. And all the way through this chapter, you're going to see that God's in control. God's at work. God's leading. In fact, when you get to chapter 16, and if you like to underline words in your Bible, you underline this pronoun. It says in verse 16 of chapter 16, easy to remember, Revelation 16, 16. It says what? And, let's read the next word. He. 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 Well, this is the key to understanding this chapter. This is God. And he gathered them together. God is going to bring all these nations, all these ungodly people, the Antichrist and all his forces, God is going to bring them together. And although the devil may think he's in control, and although the Antichrist may think he's in control, and all these forces of evil that are with them, they think they're plotting and they're planning, and they're going to get the victory. All they're doing is doing what God is leading them to do, bringing them to the place like lambs to the slaughter. And he's bringing them to this one place, Armageddon. And when he gets there, notice what verse 17 says. God says these three words. It is done. It's over. It's over for the Antichrist. It's over for the enemies of God. It's over even for the Jewish people. Their time of suffering has come to an end. And God says, it is done. So all the way as you read this chapter, don't get caught up. In fact, when you're reading the whole of the book of Revelation, don't get caught up in looking at the Antichrist and the false prophet and the dragon or the devil and get excited and even drawn by the dramas. Because if you do, you'll miss the real story in the story. Because the real story is this he, in Revelation 16, 16, that's working all things together according to his plan. History is his story. Now, verse 1 the first vial, the first signpost to Armageddon, begins with God sending one of his angels to unleash one judgment, just one. And this one judgment is to do one thing, and really one thing only, is to pour out, and notice these words very carefully, the wrath of God. Where? Upon the earth. When you get to Armageddon, it's the culmination 
of the wrath of God being poured out upon the earth. And I know it's not popular today to talk about these things. We have a lot of what someone prayed recently in the prayer meeting of dry pulpits and dry preachers, and they don't want to talk about the wrath of God. Well, you just read this chapter, and you see it all over the chapter, God's anger against sin, God's great anger against sinners. Now, who's he going to pour out his wrath? Not upon God's people, not upon the church. His wrath is going to be directed at these two groups. The ungodly that are gathered up with the Antichrist who've taken the mark of the beast and on the Jewish people themselves. They're going to face this great wrath of God at this period in world history. In fact, the Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time of wrath and anger where God unleashes judgment upon judgment. Uh, this judgment, and I won't take time to go into it all. You can read it in the book of Revelation. is all detailed. But as you come to the very end, the judgment gets worse and worse and worse. Do you remember when Pharaoh faced the ten plagues in the book of Exodus? Each plague got worse and worse and worse. Each plague brought greater devastation and destruction until it culminated in the last plague when God sent death to Pharaoh and to his people. And likewise, in the tribulation period, God will unfold judgment upon judgment, plague upon plague. But it's going to get so bad that we discover in this chapter that it says in verse 3 that all the seas turned to blood. I was on a boat yesterday, a ferry to Scotland, came back, and there was a Christian man who was in charge of the security on that boat. And he knew someone that I was talking to, and he came over and sat and talked to him, a big, strong man. And he was telling us he goes to Scotland and back four times a day on that ferry. And he says, sometimes you get great opportunities to talk to people, unsaved people. And when the storms really come and the boat's really rocking, he said, some of them become very afraid of death and very afraid of eternity. And he says, some of them will even say, thank God. Thank God. We made it to the other side. And he said, I always say to them, do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? Because if you really mean it, your life would change. And you know, that's only a little foretaste, that little storm of what God's going to do to the rivers and the seas of this world He's going to turn what's blue red. Just as he did to the Nile River, he's going to do it to all the rivers. But this time, it's unprecedented. Not only is he going to do it to the seas, the oceans, the Bible says in verse 4, 
that he's going to do it to the rivers and the springs or fountains. So everywhere where there's water is going to turn red. You say, what's the big deal about that? 71% of this planet roughly is water. Everywhere is going to turn red. All the drinking water cannot be drunk. The animals cannot be watered. Crops cannot be watered. And everywhere is now destroyed. And we're told that all that are in the seas will be put to death, will be killed. It says in verse 3, every living soul died in the sea. Every fish, every sailor, the whole global economy is going to be destroyed by God. Can you imagine what a catastrophe this will have? What an effect this will have on people? What panic it will set into people? There's no water. There's no oil. There's no economy. There's no transport left because God has just destroyed it all. The whole world's going to be torn apart. And without going into all the details here in the book of Revelation, not just thousands of people will die. Not just millions of people will die. Billions are going to die during the Great Tribulation. The undertakers will never have enough time to bury the dead. It's going to be such a time of disaster. And God's going to unleash all of that in judgment out of his great anger. And in the middle of this disaster, a man will come to the fore called the Antichrist. We'll speak about him in a few weeks' time, God willing. This Antichrist is going to promise to fix the mess that God has unleashed in the chaos and the confusion upon this world. And because the unbelieving world will reject the real Christ, they'll embrace the false one. And you told us, reread it, that even in their last moments of God's judgment, they'll still hate God. Notice what it says. In verse 11, it says, Those that were part of the Antichrist, so consumed with the darkness, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. I, I said this morning in the sermon that there are people in Larne, sad to say, who have this idea that when you die, you can go to another place of punishment. Then that place of punishment and pain, some of them call it purgatory. People have different names for it. They say that if a soul, a sinner who dies and finds himself in purgatory, he will be refined by the pain there so that he then turns to the Lord and comes out a better person. No. Here in this great affliction, Twice it's mentioned in this chapter, those who are suffering the agonies and pain of God's judgment 
don't turn to God, they turn further from him. They blaspheme him, curse him, say all manner of evil against him. But you know, this three and a half years, particularly the last three and a half years of the tribulation, it will destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist, or certainly the strength of it. That's why in the book of Daniel, he's pictured with feet of iron and feet of clay, because it's a very unstable empire that he rules. But towards the end of the tribulation period, God steps in. We're told in verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now, the river Euphrates is a great river that runs from Turkey all the way down to the Persian Gulf. It divides what's called the Near East from the Far East. It's really a river that splits the world. It's a river that even today is thousands of feet in breadth or its width. And God says, in order to facilitate the foolishness of the Antichrist and the our battle of Armageddon, God will just dry it up. And suddenly all the forces of the Antichrist that are separated by geography at this time of great disaster will be able to come together. Daniel tells us they'll come from the north and they'll come from the south. And here in Revelation, we're told they come from another direction, from the east. Now, there are people who like to predict which countries they're coming from. All I can tell you is they'll definitely come from the countries of the east, China, and places like that, India, Pakistan. They'll definitely come from countries like Russia, Ukraine and Europe. They'll definitely come from the south, from Africa, Egypt, all those Arab nations. And they'll be gathered there. And they're going to be gathered to a place by God which is called Armageddon. Now, Armageddon, if you travel to the land of Israel, is a place that's a very long, flat plain surrounded by hills. Thousands upon thousands of soldiers have fought many wars at the battle of that place called Armageddon, or the plain of Megiddo. Napoleon, who fought there, once said of Megiddo, he said of this place that it is the most natural battlefield in all the world. I have stood there at that plain. It's a vast plain that you look out over from the hills looking down. In fact, one of the hills that looks down from on the plain of Armageddon or Megiddo is Mount Carmel, where Elijah had his great confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And God gathers these forces together, and it would be a mistake for us to imagine that this battle is a one-off battle. It's not. This battle will continue as a series of smaller battles or mini-battles 
Maybe you could call it the War of Armageddon. Because it won't just be part of a war around that place. It'll be a war against the Jewish people that will go on throughout the tribulation period, but will culminate not just in this place, but we discover in the book of Zechariah, it will culminate in a battle or a final war around the city of Jerusalem. Now, how bad will it get? Let's turn to Zechariah, if you have your Bible. Referring to the same incident, Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8 and 9. Now bear in mind when you read Zechariah, although we have chapter divisions, there are no chapter divisions in the original. So when you read Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, it's just one long prophecy. Maybe that's helpful as you read it to see what's going on because in chapter 13, verse it says that it shall come to pass. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen. What God says here, it'll come in time. Just wait, he says. That in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts thereof shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. So God says, here's the ratio of what's going to happen at this great battle, this great war that will rage leading up to Armageddon. Two-thirds of the Jewish people will be cut off. A third will survive. And he gives you more detail in the next verse. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried, for they shall call on my name. Now, bear in mind there are about 15, 16 million Jews, depending on how you collate the figures. Some of the Jews, certain Jews argue over who's really a Jew and who is. If you're a mixed race, if your dad's Jew and your mother's not a Jew, blah, blah, blah. But let's just pick up the figure. 16 million. 16 million Jews. Only a third survives. Less than 6 million out of 16 million. Now Hitler thought he had exterminated the Jewish people and he only managed to kill 5 to 6 million out of about 16 million in 1939. Today, their numbers are back up to where they were pre the first Holocaust. But God says, in this little window, at the end of the tribulation people period, two-thirds of them will be wiped out. Two-thirds of them will be massacred. Now, last Saturday, or Saturday, just over a week ago, eight days ago, Hamas flew in their hang gliders into the Gaza border area. And in just 24 hours, they managed to murder about 1,500 innocent Jews. And they raped and they beheaded the children. And they kidnapped, tortured those that they took. And the world was outraged, or at least those who were, we could call, civilized were outraged. That's what, 1,500 out of 16 million? God says when this time comes, 
More than 10 million. More than 10 million. How bad will they suffer? Go to Zechariah 14, verse 2. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. So the city seems to have fallen. What happens when these hordes of forces, demonically inspired, like Hamas are, they get into the city of Jerusalem? It says, the houses are rifled. Didn't we see that eight days ago in the footage? Those kibbutz homes just torn apart, burned to a cinder. And then it says, the woman ravished or raped. Oh, we saw that just eight days ago. And half the city shall go forth into captivity. Oh, didn't we see the kidnappers take away their hostages? And God says, it's not going to happen on 1,500 or 2,000. It's going to happen on over 10 million people in just a moment of time. Oh, this is the greatest satanic attack in all of human history. But you know, let's go back to Revelation 16 and bring it to this point. What's going on here? What's really at work here? Revelation 16, 16. And he gathered them together into a place that is called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Why? Because when he gets them there, inspired, controlled by the devil and all these demonic forces, with their bloodlust of hatred, God is going to say, it is done. It's over. And suddenly, we're told, in verse 18, there were voices and thunders. God doesn't need a nuclear army, the one who controls all of human history, the one who can speak a world into existence. He, he doesn't need the United States aircraft carriers or cruise missiles, God just steps in and he says, let the earthquakes come. Let the lightnings come. Let the fire of God. Uh, he doesn't need any bullets. He sends his own heel from heaven, a talent, many kgs heavy, maybe as much as a hundred kg, and he rains them down. Upon the wicked. And the Bible tells us that at Armageddon, it's not really a battle. It's just God destroying the wicked and delivering the Jewish people from their enemies. Why does he re-inhale? I was reading this today. I thought it was a great statement. Why does he re-inhale stones? One of the punishments for blasphemy is stoning to death. Well, God stones them to death, the blasphemer, shuts them up. What should you and I learn then? With this we close. The stage is now set in the Middle East. Nice set. Everything this book says has to be there, there's no there. We're just waiting 
for the last move. And history is bang on schedule in a specific time, as I mentioned last Sunday morning, and in the specific place that God said it would happen. That's where it'll all end. And all of human history is coming to an end at the holy city. Amazing, isn't it? Not going to happen in Washington. Not going to happen in Belfast. Not going to happen in Paris or any of these glamorous cities. It's going to happen in that tiny little city, in that tiny little country, exactly where God said it would occur. And what should be our response be tonight? Well, our response should be this. The king is coming. What do you do when you hear King Charles is coming to Larne? You get yourself ready, don't you? When he's coming to your school, when he's coming to your workplace, what does everybody do? They get ready because the king is coming. Well, the king of kings is coming. And he may come tonight. And I have only one question to ask. Are you ready? Christian, are you ready? Backslider, are you ready? Child of God, are you ready? Unsaved person here, are you ready? Because you're not ready. ready. The old prophet Amos said it so well, prepare to meet my God. Get ready. The king is coming. The signposts are there to Armageddon. Jesus is coming soon. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. We can hear the tinklings of the horsemen. It is almost as if we can hear the trumpeters getting ready to blow. Jesus is coming. And all the eyes of the world are back on Jerusalem, back on the nation of Israel. And the Jewish people are trying with their own efforts to solve their problems, but they'll never do it. Because it's only when they look to the Messiah and weep and mourn for their sin and of rejecting him will he come and deliver them. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Open the eyes of the blinded. We pray for ourselves here in Larne. Jesus is coming soon. Are we ready? Are we prepared? Oh, are we prepared for our retirement? We're, we're prepared for our examinations. We're prepared for our business meetings. But Lord, are we prepared for the King of Kings to come? Well, that's a challenge. All of us must fear. Speak to each one here this evening.
particularly any who are outside of Christ. Waken up your people. For we ask all these things. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.